He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! And now for something completely different. Take two. Zach, you here with us? <laughs> I mean, I'm here. I was here the whole time. I just cool. didn't, I didn't hear any of that intro. So uh, <laughs> I hope that it, I hope it went through fine for you and uh, the thousands of, of listeners on Twitter. Yes. Thank you. Thank we you. Thank thousands you. Thousands of people tuning in from across the globe on their CB yes. radios right Oof, now. Oof, I know. What uh, seriously, ever since uh, night comes for us. We have had such an explosive <laughs> Polynesian and Micronesian fan base that mm-hmm. is just angry at us for having beards and uh, tattoos and whatever Dylan has on his chin as well. I, I got accused once of wearing a Gigi Allen style mustache, so I don't know where those beard accusations came from. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, no. that, that is you true. do not want to be affiliated with Gigi Allen. Not really, yeah, no. No, no, especially when it comes like his throwing techniques, because he will chuck some poo at me in a heartbeat. That doesn't sound so bad, actually. Um, yeah that's true anyway if you're tuning in uh we are the real boys we are a bunch of weirdos that like movies especially movies for people that we don't like anymore uh and (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) uh, not reflect everybody on this podcast if you've been if you've been following us since the since the beginning of this uh you'll see this has been a bumpy roller coaster of cinema and friendship uh, but it is almost at the end of it. Uh, we have this cast a, has been a veritable Agatha Christie novel of podcasters. Is, I don't, I, okay, <laughs> who is that reference for? The good, the good <laughs> thing is, read novels. The good Agatha thing Christ- is, yeah. I, at the end of this, we have very few suspects left of who murdered the rest of the real boys. That's true, and you that would be su- you would be surprised who actually done it. Well, so see. What a lot of people don't know is there was originally a ninth real boy, and uh, they they didn't make it to the first episode. Uh, the next uh, sixty episodes have been us kind of reviewing movies, but also mm-hmm. interrogating each other over yep. who did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people keep getting bumped off, and whoever gets off of this train um, alive gets all of the money. Yeah, it's that easy. Uh, but I, I am it? going to take this opportunity to announce that I will be leaving the real boys after 2021 is over. Yeah, he definitely keeps saying that. And once again, I'm going to hang out here. Uh, I'm going to be by With myself. a heavy heart. I'm going to find a bunch more people that I don't like and ask them their favorite <laughs> movies. And then I'm going to bitch about them for cool. That's not a bad a podcast while. idea, actually. You could probably <laughs> pull that off. That's not a bad podcast yeah. idea. And it'll probably it be pretty easy to find seven uh, other people that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, that'll be RB2, uh, <laughs> Real Boys <laughs> Season 2. Anyway, uh, my name is Zach. Uh, this over here, this is Dylan. And this down there, this is Mr. Michael Colby. And we are uh, a few of the real boys that, that decide to show up today. And what we're doing is we review movies. We got together with a bunch of other podcasters. We found our top five favorite movies for this 
uh, specific project. And, and our top it, three it, podcasters. <laughs> true uh in, in very certain uh, uh categories but um so <laughs> and uh we have been uh, selectively going through all of them and re-watching them and, and seeing what it's like to be uh, a viewer of these movies that either are or used to be our favorites uh in the 2021 climate uh and we are down to number ones now and this is mr uh justin i don't remember his Wallace. last Justin Wallace's last uh his number one favorite movie Princess Bride. Um now I'm assuming that everyone here has seen Princess Bride before. Is that right? Dozens no. of times. I had yeah. never I had never seen this before. Is that true or not true? No, that's a complete nutter lie. I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I get the feeling that this conversation is going to be mostly us talking about our favorite parts of it and what yeah. this movie means to us. Yeah, and some and some trivia that I've recently dug up. But I, I tried watching this uh, this last time under the guise of not knowing the book at all and knowing that this is a novelty movie and rewatching it, knowing that it's a fantasy movie, knowing that it's you know like a, a fairy tale uh, style. Um, I really don't know if, if if you didn't know about this, if you don't have nostalgia, I'm not sure if this movie would mean anything to you now, which is which is crazy because I grew up with this movie. This is, you know, I, I have seen this movie so many times, almost as many times as I've seen Star Wars. Um, but I don't know if, if anyone who watches for the first time with without anything except pop culture references, if this movie would be good. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I'm on the opposite. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum on that one because I was watching this. This movie is kind of timeless, like even the modern day parts. I mean, the only thing that like puts it in a time bubble is the fact that Fred Savage has like He-Man toys sitting around, but it's mostly you know sports stuff, Chicago Bears stuff, Chicago whatever cub stuff yeah um and as far as it being a fantasy movie uh, i don't i think it aged very well yeah it, it was interesting because you know obviously i've seen it many times and it's hard to separate those two things but you know i think with the design of the landscapes using like that painting method i think makes the fairy tale part timeless and i think that's very interesting to watch it uh whereas if you know what the book is about then it makes all the other parts uh really worth it in there as well and the only reason i said that is because doing a lot of research obviously i, I like to go through uh comments and uh reviews and see what people say and i was trying to find a bad review of this looking for the person who just saw it just to see how that was uh now i am not sure if this is the first time this person saw it uh i did find one review that i want to run it past you guys real fast since i know we all know and love this movie and the majority of people who are going to watch this last listen to this know and love this movie but but there is one person that i don't think likes this movie very much now i did have to translate this from german i will say uh as i was scrolling through letterbox and looking at all the reviews one was pretty long and it was in german and it seemed angry which everything in german does um <laughs> uh but i'm gonna read it for you real fast uh just because this thing really just baffled me um now i don't know who wrote this they didn't give a name uh but here's what it said and granted this is after i translated it from german uh it says 
Among every circle of friends, there are precisely those who are our indicator. An indicator for bad films as well as for good films. An indicator for comedies as for horror films. My personal comedy indicator is my beloved and highly esteemed best friend, Stefan, alias Les Grossman. Now, Les Grossman is the character Tom Cruise plays in uh, Tropic Thunder, by the way. I'm not sure why that matters at all. Um, but either way, this guy is Stefan's best friend who goes by Les Grossman. And he says, in order to better understand it as an indicator, I would like to show a diagram here. 100 out of 100 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or the Naked Gun Cannon. 80 out of 100 are all roles with Clint Eastwood as a curmudgeon. 60 out of 100 are all Eberhofen films. Uh, 40 out of 100 is Forrest Gump. 20 out of 100 is Princess Bride. Zero out of 100 is Blade Runner uh, 2049. So what does the indicator uh, Stefan tell us? That that he doesn't know anything about movies? That he well, has terrible fucking taste in movies? Well, That's I'll a weird well, scale. I'll, I'll tell you what Stefan says. He says, a princess, the Princess Bride would neither then as a child nor today as an adult be a screamer or even a classic or cult film. The film has, except for one or two laughs, otherwise no laughs. The characters are personable, yet everything about them screams for wasted potential. Alternatively, we, we get most obvious backdrops uh, next to beautiful landscapes that are to be expected. Where the music got to is a good question, and yes, she urgently needed it. Don't know why that was like that. Uh, what, but, finally, what finally needed to be said, what a lame, boring film whose cult factor is completely lost on me and my indicator, Stefan. Uh, so that's what uh, Stefan's best friend thinks, and which would make this a uh, 20 out of 100, just below Forrest Gump. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. In the 60 to 100, I mentioned something called Erberhofer films. <laughs> now, obviously, being an idiot, I was like, well, I wonder what that is. <laughs> right? So here I am down a rabbit hole looking for stuff oh, about, no. about Princess Bride. And what I find is after, <laughs> after, after damp full nabobalus, uh, Winter Arcanofadol and Sveinskamp al Dente, uh, uh, Griebnaklaflar and Sauerkraut Coma, uh, Liebers, Lieberkast Junkie is the sixth film adapted of the Franz Eberhofer series based on a novel by Rita Falk. In a book series, Laberska Junkie is case number seven in a film where number six, for some reason, called Plum Plum, was skipped. I don't know why they skipped Plum Plum, but you're probably wondering uh, what, what Eberhofer is. Well, I'll tell you. Eberhofer is a village policeman. Uh, he has a very high cholesterol level due to regular consumption of meatloaf from Metzger Similar. Uh, therefore, his grandmother only eats healthy foods. For Franz, that's a nightmare, okay? And especially since he also suffers from a lack of sleep in, in addition to the withdrawal symptoms of, I guess, cholesterol. Uh, after Susie obliges him to take care of their son, Paul, who is now almost one year old, Eberhofer <laughs> wants to prove himself to be a good father to Susie. And with the help of his friends, he seems to be able to do that to some extent, I guess. Uh, one night, though, uh, his desire for Lieberkast roles becomes too great. So the butcher, Simmer, uh, has has to be roused from his sleep, whereupon he calls the troublemaker Lieberkast junkie. Right now, I you, you can see why they skipped number six to hop over to Lieberkast junkie. Now I know what you're thinking. What's Lieberkast? 
And I'll tell you, my friend Dylan, Lieberkost, uh, which is German, it literally means liver cheese, sometimes spelled Lieberkost or Lieberkost in Austria and, and the Swabian, Bavarian, and Franconian parts of Germany and Flashcocks in Saarland, Baden, Sweetland. Yeah. And Tyrol, uh, it's a specialty food found in the south of Germany and Australia and parts of Switzerland, uh, similar to like a bologna sausage. It consists of corned beef, pork, uh, bacon, and is made by grinding the ingredients very finely, then baking it as though it were a loaf in a bread pan until it's a crunchy brown crust. You're so, telling me this dude thinks German Paul Blart with a meatloaf taste is like <laughs> better than God- goddamn Princess Bride? <laughs> this, yeah, so this none is... of this stuff that you just said makes any like you may as well be speaking german because (laughs) listen this is what stefan thinks is slightly better than forrest gump but slightly worse than clint eastwood as a curmudgeon when let's reach out to him get him on the show i have and apparently he died three years ago uh so (laughs) probably uh, from probably from high cholesterol for eating all that litter liver cheese but i'm not gonna lie to you there's something pretty special about this six film series where a man who has high cholesterol needs to solve the crime of himself stealing baloney uh six (laughs) movies luckily they skipped plum plum anyway uh we're gonna be talking about this movie here and if you don't know what princess bride is uh and if you would like to know what stefan thinks uh feel free to rewind a little bit um but (laughs) don't don't rewind you don't need to know what stefan thinks you can if you want to but the princess bride is a 1987 american film directed and co-produced by rob reiner starring carrie was uh robin wright penn I guess Robin Wright. Robin Wright, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mandy Patankin, uh, Chris Saradon, uh, Wallace Shawn, which has the best voice ever, Andrea Giant, and Christopher Guest. It's adapted by William Goldman, um, his 1973 novel, The Princess Bride. It tells the story of a farmhand named Wesley, who's accompanied by companions befriended along the way, who must rescue his true love, Princess Buttercup, from the Ode odious prince humperdinck uh the film preserves the uh the novel's metafictional narrative style by presenting the story as a book being read by a grandfather who plays by peter falk uh to a sick grandson fred savage now turn this back on for this when was the last time you guys have seen this movie not since i read the book this was my first time seeing the movie after i read the book yeah and it did lose a little bit of its luster because there's some stuff in the book like like inigo and fezzik's like backstories Mm -hmm. that i was missing from the movie but whatever like it's still a great movie like uh it also, if if they would have added that stuff, it would have been two hours and it would have slogged yeah. a little bit. Yeah. The the last time I watched this was slightly over a year ago. All right. So cool. not not long ago, and I had just as fun a time watching it now as I did then. Yeah, it's it's cool because when I watched it when it you know when it first came out, and the the movie that I remember was uh, this grandfather telling a story to his child, uh, and then this kid who's a sports and a boy uh, doesn't want to hear about uh, girls and kissing and such like that. Uh, when you, you know, years after, I mean, it's 30 uh, some years later uh, it's cool. Watch this. Cause now there's that nostalgic bit. Uh, and then the, the fantasy part. So the Fred Savage now has this eighties nostalgia flair, which, you know, is, is super cool now, but then it was just how it was. Um, the weird thing though, 
reading the book both makes this movie better and worse at the mm -hmm. same time. And I think that's very interesting. Uh, because like, like I told you guys before, I, I, I love this book. It's, it's my, probably my number three favorite book of all time. Um, I love, I love Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, my number two book is The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon by, uh, uh, Stephen King. And then this is my number three book. And I think it was my number three book because, uh, it, it got me. Like I, I have never been got before uh, to this level, but I read this entire book front to back and I loved every bit of it. And if you don't know a lot about the book, he writes it in a way where it's abridged. Uh, he, he took an older book that's by Thomas M Morgenstern, I believe his name is. Um, and no, is that right? Is that right? No, no. The, the story is that he did that, but the entire thing is fictional. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he said that he was yes. writing it for, he, he grew up on a farm. Uh, he was writing it for his son. He, he wanted his son to have a, a proper hero. So that's why he's taking his old book and abridging it. Uh, he never had a son. He had two daughters and that's why he wanted to write this book, which is really cool. Uh, it, it's such a weird, you know, doing a lot of research and finding out about this movie. It, it's pretty fascinating about this because he sold the rights to this uh, a couple of years after he wrote the book. And there was some pretty prolific um, directors that wanted to do this thing. And he was not happy with the way any of this was going. So he actually, with his own money, years later, bought the rights to his own book back. Because he's like, no one's going to do it. No one's ever going to be able to do it. Until Rob Reiner, who uh, William Goldman and Rob Reiner's dad, Carl uh, Reiner were actually really good friends and Rob was always hanging around when Carl was doing his thing with you know William Goldman and William Goldman actually handed Rob Reiner a copy of this book which became Rob Reiner's favorite book of all time so Rob Reiner actually went back to William Goldman was like please let me do this and he was the only one that was able to get the rights to do this movie which is pretty pretty cool um and, and you know, this is like definitely his best movie, Rob Reiner's best movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, he, he's got a couple. He's got a couple up there. He's got a couple down there. He's uh, got a bunch down. There. Yeah, that's, <laughs> like surprisingly, that's, when that's I went true. through his movies, I was like, "Yee." <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, this this one definitely is going to hang out. Um, now, if you once again, if you know the movie, the, the the film is an enactment of a book that a grandfather reads to a sick grandson who initially dismisses the story. Uh, the tale is about Buttercup, who's a beautiful young woman living on a farm in a fictional kingdom of Florence. Uh, whenever she tells farmhand Wesley to do something, he always complies saying, as you wish. Uh, she eventually realizes that he loves her and she loves him. And Wesley leaves to seek his fortune overseas so they can marry. When his ship is attacked by the Dread Pirate Roberts, who is an infamous uh, for never leaving survivors, Wesley is presumed dead. All right. So on the rewatch, uh, what were some things that kind of stood out to you guys as far as, um, you know, how? you know how this is going to go. So what were the things you were looking at again for the rewatch for this show? The, the first thing I noticed is that the dialogue in the like frame story and the actual story, every single line is like has a place and every single one, maybe, okay. Maybe like 85, 90% of them are funny in some way. Not, not comedic haha, -ha, but there's a dry wit to everything. Yeah. There's a good character interaction between everyone where I'm just like smiling the whole time. Yeah, it is odd when you watch it back and, and try to pay attention to little things that every person in the story speaks with an English accent, except for 
uh, uh, Sean Wallace or Wallace Sean, mm-hmm. <coughs> uh, Billy Crystal and Carol Kane. There, uh, are, uh, we'll get to it, but yeah, I, I, I was like, <laughs> every I, I, time I watch this, that part gets better. Yeah, the, the Miracle Max part yeah. is like. And, and and that's interesting because, you know, knowing the book, the majority of, of the scenes that are in the movie, I mean, they, they follow the book pr- pretty well, um, but every scene that's in the book is slightly better in the book, except for that scene. That scene is so much better in the movie. And I love Miracle Max, uh, but there's something so special about Billy Crystal at that point. Uh, because he is so perfect and Carol Kane is so perfect at like, you know, just rebutting him every single time and and they're being, they're so good together. Like every time you see those two together, were they ever like married or anything? No, no, no. They like, they were like, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ben Stiller's dad, Jerry Stiller. Oh yeah. uh, And his wife. Yeah. Like they were always together as like husband and wife. And you always like it. They just had such good chemistry. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I mean the story, like I said, it revolves around buttercup. And what do you guys think of Robin Wright as buttercup? This is like the first real big role for her. She was a soap opera star. I think before this. She is fine, but she's also playing the role of pretty much damsel in distress, period. Yeah. She, and she does exactly what she needs to. Yeah, yeah. She's she's doing exactly what she needs to here. Well, but I think she sells it. I think she does sell the emotional core like, of her character. I, I don't think she's phoning it in. I think she's doing no, what, no. The, what the role yeah. is asking her to do. And, and I think that's a good thing. And yeah. there's a part there's a part in the uh fire swamp where you can sort of see her muster up the courage to like hit the, the rodent of unusual size, like with the, with the big stick and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it, yeah, she's doing a good job, but she's not really, she's not really given too much to do. She's, she's the princess who needs to be rescued. So William Goldman, when writing this book, he had Carrie Fisher, Carrie Fisher in mind as the mm-hmm. ideal choice for Buttercup. Mm-hmm. He thought that right. she was the ideal princess, obviously, after Star Wars. Everybody did. But this book was so prolific when it came out that a lot of the up-and-coming and even big-name actors really wanted to be in this movie. Uh, some of the leading roles for Princess Buttercup, they got turned down. Uh, Courtney Cox and Meg Ryan both auditioned, didn't make it past the second thing. Um, I think Meg Ryan would have been Meg Ryan good. would have been a good choice. Yeah. yeah. That that I mean, era Meg Ryan? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Sure. She might have been too Meg Ryan, though, uh, especially in 87, uh, especially after Sleepless with Seattle. Um, but uh, Uma Thurman also auditioned for the role and was hmm. fighting hard hmm. for it. But apparently everyone, including William Goldman, just thought that she didn't have, like, the princess look. Huh. Uh, the, the par- I was sort of that way. I, I, I was sort of that way with... Uh... Who was the first one you said? <laughs> Courtney Cox? No. Meg Ryan? No. Jerry Stiller? Before that. <laughs> uh, Robin Wright? <laughs> God. Princess Leia. Carrie Fisher. Oh, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> like, I feel like she would have been almost too heroic. In I, that I agree. I, I think she's not uh, she's not damselly enough. Now, yeah. the one actor that fought the hardest to get Princess Buttercup role, and there's no way you guys can ever guess this, uh, but this actor started a, a bit of a campaign with a mail-in campaign. Whoopi Goldberg really wanted to be Princess Buttercup and fought 
hard to get this role. And that's so interesting to me because uh, not that I can't see it. Um, I'm sure Whoopi would have been great, but I don't really see Whoopi uh, as a a nothing role. She's a little bit bigger than, especially with this role needed. Um, but either way, I think Robin Wright did a, I think she did a, a fantastic job for what was needed of her. Uh, all right. So we're going to jump ahead five years later. Now, Buttercup is forcibly betrothed to Prince Humperdinck. Uh, and the heir to the throne is Florin. Um, uh, sorry, the heir to the throne of Florin. Now, before the wedding, she's kidnapped by three outlaws, a short Sicilian named Vizzini, a giant from Greenland named Fezzik, and a Spanish fencing master named Inigo Montoya, who seeks revenge after a six-fingered man who murdered his father. Prince Humperdinck, uh, his soldiers, and uh, also a masked man clad in black pursue the outlaws. So we're hopping into this thing already, and we have uh, Buttercup. She is stolen now, and uh, we meet... We, we we meet our outlaws, and immediately, I think that this is what makes this movie so great, is these three people. Because uh, they all need each other for whatever reasons, and if you, if you see like the extended cut, or if you, especially if you read the book, you know that uh, the Sicilian saves both of them uh, when they need it the most, and for that reason, they feel they owe their life to him because he's kind of a prick. Um, but uh, yeah, they really don't trust him a whole lot but they need him and mm -hmm. watching it back I, easily these three are my favorite part of this movie um and what, what do you guys think of these three love them I, all three of them yeah uh what struck me this time was uh mandy patinkin's acting yeah he's the, he's the one I, out of all of them in the movie his felt like the most emotional kind of like drive yeah especially yeah. in the confrontation at the end with rugen like when he yeah. is when he is delivering that final fight and the music swells and he gets on his feet after getting the knife, I'm like, this is what you're rooting for in the movie. Yeah, yeah. and he surely had read the book by this, like at this point, and knew like because they don't put it, they don't put. I mean, they put his, you know, reason in the movie, but they don't give it that backstory. It's like that little half chapter that that shows you know how much anigo loves his father and looks up to him and yeah. then watches him get murdered like that little bit of extra stuff really adds a lot so when you know that you know what he's fighting for and yeah absolutely like mandy patankin knew that and and was using that in the movie even though they didn't show as much of it as you might like but it was still like there. Yeah, uh, I agree. And a little bit of trivia and backstory on these guys. Uh, so uh, while Sean was the second cast to be Vizzini, um, he actually was, uh, it was uh, uh, Danny DeVito was actually originally cast for that part. And then <laughs> Danny DeVito uh, eventually he, he backed out. And Sean Wallace had always thought that he wasn't good enough since they didn't pick him. They picked Danny DeVito. So he was constantly asking people, was that right? Do you think I should go harder and blah, blah, blah. Uh, as far as the giant, uh, Wim Goldman asked and uh, again sent uh, a specifically handwritten letter to Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> saying that you are the person that I see as this role. This is what sure. that is. Uh, Schwarzenegger said initially, he's like, yeah, sure. Uh, the movie sat in development for about, you know, eight years. And by that time, Schwarzenegger was a, a bigger deal. And uh, William Goldman met Andre a giant and said that this is a perfect casting for this. As far as Manny Patankin, he was originally you know, the first person they thought for this role. He's perfect. He's a stage actor, beautiful singer. 
Now, I think about Mandy Patinkin. When he read this book, he fell in love with this character. And when he was given this role, he wanted something special when it came down to his interactions with Christopher Guest. Uh, Mandy Patinkin's father was taken by cancer. So whenever he looked at Christopher Guest in this movie, he was seeing it as the cancer that took his father. So that very last scene where he is getting back at uh, the six-fingered man, he said that in his brain, he was attacking the cancer that took his father from him at a very early age, which is why that, and you're 100% right, Michael, that there's no more emotion in, I think, any movie than that right there. When he is just looking Christopher Guest in the face and all that's going down and he just keeps repeating his line and finishing it, it like to this day, it, I mean, uh, right now, goosebumps. You probably yeah. can't see it, but uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, those there's some beautiful, beautiful acting in this movie, and there really didn't need to be. Uh, <laughs> one of the other people that wanted uh, one of these roles uh, very bad, Liam Neeson. Apparently, uh, he revealed on the Graham Norton show once that he auditioned for Fezzik, and direct direct Rob Reiner walked up to him, looked him dead in the eyes, and scoffed and said, "You're not big enough." No, now, to think that somebody think, did that to Liam Neeson is so funny. I think he would have been good as the six fingered man, though. Yeah, I, I think Neeson. so too. But Christopher Guest, uh, the thing, the cool thing about Christopher, Christopher Guest, Guest was great. He Christopher is, Guest, it, it, the, I think the reason that Christopher Guest was so great in that role was because of his comedy. Um, he doesn't get to use the comedy very often, mm-hmm. but when he does, it's like you need a comedic actor, like when. Inigo like dispatches his guards and then he sort of puts his sword up and then like runs. turns and runs. Yeah. You have to have like perfect timing to make that not look cheesy. And it didn't look cheesy. It was hilarious. Yeah. His, his timing of all that was absolutely perfect. Um, there actually, there's a thing uh, that Rob Reiner forgot that Christopher Guest was actually in this movie because knowing <laughs> Christopher Guest, he said he was so into this role that you wouldn't see him. Like you, he, he was always mm-hmm. as uh, the count in this film. And uh, here's a fun tidbit. Uh, he plays count Rugen, uh, you know, which is technically a step down from his actual title. He is an actual baron. He's the fifth baron Hayden guest of sailing in Essex uh, and in the Parisian of the United Kingdom. So he actually is a higher rank than what he played in that movie, which is crazy. Uh, and he's married to James. Mm-hmm. I, I love everything about this movie. I spent days just going down funnels of information about this. Um, I- Listening to all these casting alternatives, it's painting a movie that I think would have been equally good, mm-hmm. but we got a really good version of it anyway. So it's not like I would replace any of them. I don't hear any of these good castings and think that would have been better. Yeah. It probably would have been as good in a different way. Cause like well, DeVito's portrayal probably would have been a little rougher for Vizzini because Vizzini's kind of comical in just mm-hmm. his general. Yeah. It'd have been demeanor. sleazier. Yeah. Yeah. Schwarzenegger would have been more like like built, whereas yeah. Andre the Giant looks big. He's and thing, so big. And he's so big, Liam, but also Andre the Giant has this childlike quality about him that Arnold cannot pull off. Yeah. Arnold can be yes. funny and goofy and can be your brother or your uncle, but there's something that is so kind of gently special about Andre the Giant that I think makes that role. Now, the thing about if, if any of those other people were cast, this movie would have been probably acted better. But I think the people that were in this movie, it meant more to them to make. Yeah, it, uh, that's that's the thing. This is one of those movies where you probably could have phoned it in, but nobody is phoning it in. Like from 
from the, the guards that are counting that are like guarding Rugen to like the people on horseback when when they're <laughs> looking for Buttercup, like nobody is phoning it in. Nobody is just standing there looking around. Mm-hmm. Everybody is focused in on what they're doing, and it it makes this silly fairy tale seem more. I don't want to say realistic, but it, right. it gives Authentic. it extra heart. Right. Yeah. Authentic. I think that's fair. That now it, it, in the ship is when we kind of get one of the biggest deviations to the book, uh, because there are no screeching eels in the, in the actual book. Uh, what's in the water are the sharks. Uh, and then apparently Fezzik like pours like a pint of his own blood. He like cuts himself and gets his own blood and throws it in the water. And it's like, look, you need to get back on this ship. Um, but so we get to uh, the Cliffs of Insanity, right? And uh, Great map painting. Dude, everything. Really the paint- <laughs> yeah, the paintings of all this are great. Uh, and we've already seen now that um, Inigo has seen that there's a ship behind them, which apparently is inconceivable because of the <laughs> route they've taken uh, through the straits they've taken and to the Cliffs of Insanity they've taken. And once they get there, Fezzik is pretty much carrying all three of them up this thing, which is so cool looking as he's just like, just churning up the rope with three people hanging on to him. Uh, and then you also see that there's the man in black who is gaining some traction and he's getting up there. And when they get to the top of the, uh, the cliffs of insanity, um, that's when kind of the action of this really takes over. And uh, so they decide that the Spaniard is going to hang back and he's going to fight the man in black because there's not a better swordsman in the world. And this is when you get the first real bit of, of humanity out of Inigo, which is, you know, he looks down at the man in black and he's like, can you please hurry up? And he's like, look, I'm doing, I'm doing my best. Either give me a rope or shut up, <laughs> you know? And uh, he eventually gives him a little bit of rope and they have like this kind of pride, this trust in each other of, of men of swords. And then they have probably the most epic sword fight, I think, in movie history. Uh, can you it's think of it? Yeah. Can you think of a better sword fight? Rob Roy. Like that, that movie, as far as like authenticity and people getting tired and actually injuring each other and portraying (laughs) it like a sword fight, the Gina Davis, Liam Neeson movie. As far as sword fights go. Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Uh, I don't, I don't particularly care for the movie, but that sword fight is pretty good. If you're looking for something that looks technical, like, yeah, so the sword fight in this movie was choreographed by the same choreographer as the guy who did the sword fights for Star Wars, which is pretty incredible. Also, uh, Wesley and Inigo trained for months to do this, and there is no part of the sword fight that has stunt doubles. The only part of that entire scene that has a stunt double is Wesley's flip. Yep, uh, and you um, can definitely see you know, it. Tell. 100%, <laughs> yeah. Because it's, like, it's like a gymnast, you know? It's like... yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, pretty much uh, he defeats Inigo in a duel and he knocks him out. Um, and that's when he comes up to Fezzik. And I, now I just oh, want to talk a little bit about the duel. All the names they drop are real dueling teachers and techniques that are in real life and are counters to each other. Like it's not just a choreographed fight. Like the, the stuff they're saying is actual sword fighting techniques. It's, yeah. it's just a nice little like they really, really did put the work in. 
Well, the weird thing is, is that the choreographer of this, like I said, is the guy who did Star Wars. Uh, this guy was the last human being to witness an actual saber duel in real life. A hmm. uh, um, a man on man to the death fight with sabers. Uh, this choreographer was the last person to witness one of these live. Uh, so he has like the real thing, which is pretty cool. Uh, I also love that, that, that reveal of like, you know, I got to tell you something. I ain't left-handed. And Wes is like, I ain't left-handed either. Dude, I love dude, this, this movie's so good. It's, uh, it's very well paced because when, when one person's winning, you get the left-handed reversal. Yeah, when that person's winning, you get the other left-handed reversal. And then they both stop and they're both like, okay, mm-hmm. who are like who are we to each other? And it's like, well, I won, so I'm not yeah. gonna kill you. So yeah, now it's, we it's great. Now we know that the man in black has some amazing finesse and some great agility, right? So Fezzik decides to stay back because if he can get past the Spaniard, he's not going to be able to get past the strength of a giant, right? But he pretty quickly, by doing the I'm going to jump on your back method, uh, knocks out Fezzik uh, with using a wrestling move that Andre Giant beat Hulk Hogan in one year, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, so now we know that he also has uh, a little brains, but also some brawn. That's when he gets to Vizzini and uh, probably one of the most memorable scenes, which is this whole mental battle between a Sicilian uh, when death is on the line. And you get this thing where it's like, I can't beat you with this. I can't beat you with that, but I can play with my mind here. Uh, and, you know, you get this great uh, Wallace Shawn uh, scene and <laughs> it's like, hey, what's that? And he turns around and he swaps the cups and whatever. Um, <laughs> for no reason. <laughs> for, for no reason whatsoever. At least if you die, then it's on your own. It's, it's on you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he wanted to kind of try to read uh, the man in black, which, which is so great. Uh, and I guess at this point, we, we know that this is the Dread Pirate Roberts, right? Uh, do, we, we know that by now, I think. Um, well, we know that Dread Pirate Roberts has killed Wesley, and then this man in black, which we're assuming is the Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, now, with some quick little bit of... <laughs> of uh, which, which, you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> For real. I, I put a, put a Zorro... Poor Zoro costume, that's cool. Uh, so he he pretty much says that he's been practicing Iocane powder uh, forever, and that's why he has a tolerance for it, so it doesn't even matter whatever it is. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and now Buttercup is the one who knocks him down. As he's rolling down the hill, he says those magical words, as you wish, which lets her know that this is her beloved Wesley, uh, which is great. Uh, which this- gives it, <laughs> when they're rolling down the hill, the most hilariously bad ADR. Yeah. I, 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 like, yeah oh, for some reason, I really noticed it this time. I'm like, even the out. Oh, ow. Yeah. It's like a video game character standing in fire. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, 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 so, ooh. and then obviously, because Wesley's fallen down the hill, she throws herself down there also. Uh, now, Wesley explains how Dreadpire Roberts. Uh, it's just a title that's passed on to others. And he took it when the previous Roberts wanted to retire. And now having found Buttercup, Wesley intends to surrender the title to another. And Humperdinck catches the, the pair after they emerge from the dangerous fire swamps. So in the book, uh, Humperdinck is this amazing hunter. And this guy, like he has this zoo. Do you guys remember the zoo in the, in the book? Uh, and yeah, it's the like, menagerie. These- 
yeah, like these 10 levels of death. Uh, and he just goes into this thing and he like fights all these crazy like lions and everything. Um, and they kind of swap that out later for the torture chamber, which was kind of annoying, but I guess there's really no way to film that thing. Um, but so uh, Humperdinck is a prince, right? And Buttercup isn't. Do you remember how she becomes a princess so that Humperdinck can marry her? Because no. they don't talk about it in the movies. They only no, say... No, they it. don't talk... They, uh, they also do a weird thing in the movie. I don't know um, if I missed something, but I feel like at one point they say, uh, oh, Humperdinck's father died the next day. But isn't that his father giving her, like, walking her to her room on their I, wedding day? I think that's her father now. So in the book, what happened was, uh, so she is the most beautiful person in the land. And in the book, he wants to marry her. And they're like, well, you have to marry a, a princess. So he actually forms this fake country in the middle of his country and then makes her dad like the ruler of that country so she can become a princess so she can marry him. So I think that that's her dad at the old man at the end, which I'm not sure because they don't really ever bring that back up yeah because it looks like the guy who's standing with them when he makes the announcement yeah no you're probably right which is weird um it's a, it, <coughs> i mean it doesn't matter but yeah. no it was just so we, like so it get... was also a weird throwaway adr line where it said that he died so yeah maybe they put that in later i I don't that know. That is weird. I actually don't remember that. I'll, I'll go rewatch it again later. Uh, so <laughs> oh, darn. <laughs> we get to like the fire swamps. We get to the lightning sand. Uh, we get to the RUSs. Uh, anything in that you guys want to talk about? I mean, it's all cool. <laughs> it's, it's it's all very cool. Jim Henson sure. Muppet. <laughs> well, there the, was a man inside of that. <laughs> the RUSs, I was introduced. My, the first time I watched this movie, my grandpa put it on for me when I was like... 10 maybe mm -hmm. younger and i was freaked out by the rous's they're yeah. they're kind of intense for a kid of that age the way yeah, they walk and, and when the that noise they make yeah yeah and when the ones get set on fire it's kind of horrific yeah it yeah. is pretty bad <laughs> apparently the main one uh the main rous the the gentleman that played that was that character inside that suit uh it is so like tight and it was so like uh restricting that when he would leave the set he would just get almost blackout drunk uh because he hated being in this thing so Hell he yeah. was actually going from the bar to his uh, hotel whatever and he got pulled over from a cop the cop's like what are you doing and he's like listen i'm in this movie where i'm a giant rat and i gotta fight this man for he throws me into fire but the guy looks like zorro so the cop like threw this dude in prison <laughs> and the next day they're like trying to like you know, uh, do the scene and like, where is this guy? And then he oh. finally just shows up later. And he goes, "Listen, you guys aren't going to believe because he was still holding <laughs> over." He said, "Listen, you guys are going to believe this, but I got attacked by a cop, <laughs> uh, which is great. Everything about this movie is so cool." Um, yeah, it's yeah. God, I, it, <laughs> I I wish I had something funny to say about this movie, but it is. It's it's just so good and so charming. It's like. Yeah. Um, when we watched Back to the Future for that episode uh, that we did for the scene snobs, I was like, this might be the most comforting movie ever. But I think I was wrong. I think it's The Princess Bride. I think like there's nothing yeah, in there's... this that's that's anything less than like 100 percent charming. Yeah, because, you know, when you think about this movie, it's like, this is romance. This is, you know, fighting. This is everything. When you think about Back to the Future, like, man, what a cool movie. 
It is a little incesty, though. It's a little creepy. Uh, but I'm going to agree. This movie is yeah. way more comforting. Um, Back so, to the Future doesn't treat it like it's the... I don't know. Whatever. This discussion is not for this episode. No. <laughs> Listen, we can talk about incest of any movie we want to. This is our show. <laughs> uh, okay, so Humperdinck captures the pair after they emerge from the fire swamps. And Buttercup agrees to return with Humperdinck oh, after he promises... Hang on, hang on one second. If you want to talk about incest, if that is, in fact, her father at the end of the movie that walks her down to the thing. Right. He's way too excited that she give him a kiss. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He's a creepy old man. So, <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, <laughs> There's right. your incest talk. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, after the promise uh, to release Wesley, he secretly orders his sadistic vizier, Count Rugen, to take Wesley to the torture chambers called the Pit of Despair. Uh, before being knocked out, Wesley notices that Count Rugen has six fingers on his right hand and realizes that this is the man that <sighs> killed Inigo's father. Hmm. So we get to the danger room, right? The torture chamber. And we get one of the weirdest characters, which is this albino named Max. Uh, I love this man. I don't understand what he's doing here, uh, but I, I do absolutely love him. He's got a job. Uh, that's the, true. the albino is in the book no i know it just uh but you would think out of the out of the people that are in this movie i don't know who mel smith is who who the guy who played this and he has such great timing and such weird presence that you would think that he would be like a, I, a bigger person i do feel like i've seen him in other stuff but i he, can't tell you what he gets yeah. a featured spot in the end credit so he's he was someone at the time who people probably recognized well, here's the weird thing about about him in this movie. He has never rewatched this movie because, as the albino, he had to wear these contact lenses that apparently caused him so much pain that he could not see. So throughout his entire like all of his performances, he wasn't able to see. He was in constant pain, and the i just the idea of rewatching this movie was going to bring him so much pain that he's never seen this film. Which well, I thought that's was, too bad. Yeah, yeah that sounds bad. familiar. Because he is memorable for being uh, uh, someone who I actually don't know. His, um, his voice, the voice re uh, misdirect when you first introduce him mm -hmm. is one of my favorite kind of like swerves in movies where you expect this creepy kind of like, yeah, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Speaks with this very refined kind of bass voice. It is, yeah. It's great. It's the first time I've ever seen that gag mm -hmm. and I've seen it a bunch of times since then. But it, it is a very good, it is a very good gag, and it. Yeah. But that is the first time I remember seeing it. I'm sure yeah, it's it, not the first time it was done. Yeah, it's it's a, it's the audio version of when you meet Willy Wonka the first time, and he's got the cane, and then he rolls down. You're like, mm -hmm. all right, this I can't trust anything that's going on now. <laughs> um, okay, so Buttercup accuses Humperdinck of failing to search for Wesley, even though he says that he's going to send his fastest ships in all four directions. Which is weird because what if he went in a different direction than just the main four? There's a lot of directions uh, that aren't just four. But either way, well, he does uh, he does say that he's always around that one area in this time of the year. Yeah, so they sort of know where they're look where they should be looking. Yeah, I know uh, that he doesn't plan on oh, yeah. <laughs> looking for him at all. But but so, that is what he tells her to make it at least believable to her. Yeah, now Humperdinck is pretty pissed off, and he imprisons Buttercup and tortures Wesley to death. 
Uh, Inigo and Fezzik, who have heard and followed Wesley's whales through the forest, find his body and bring him to Miracle Max, who's a folk hero. And Max revives the mostly dead Wesley through his severely, uh, even though he's severely weakened. Now, we were saying this in the beginning. This is one of the best scenes. Um, now, he's like, <laughs> when he's like, ooh, the MLT, the mutton, lettuce, and tomato, you know, and the mutton's <laughs> real fresh. Do you remember what he says is the best tasting thing in the book? An LT? It, it's cough drops. Oh, oh, in the book. No. He's, he's like, mm, almost as good as cough drops. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a weird thing. Uh, but yeah, I love all this. I, I'm pretty sure this is the clip that I put in the beginning where he's yeah. like, if he did say that, but he didn't. He said, to blave. <laughs> and, and as we all know, to blave means to lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dude, I love everything about this. Uh, every every line in this thing. And I'm not even a huge uh, fan of uh, what's his face there um billy oh, crystal he's fine but like <laughs> but but in this movie he's like top form like this exactly what this movie needs is yeah is billy crystal doing his billy crystal thing right here yeah yeah, they said the only the only injuries that happened on the entire set of this movie <laughs> were people that hurt their ribs while trying to suppress laughs from Billy Crystal. They said he went on a rant for three straight days, never said the same joke more than once. And Rob Reiner had to like like there was points where he's like, stop, stop. I, I have to I have to go laugh. And Rob Reiner would leave the room and laugh and then come back and let Billy Crystal do his thing. Uh, another weird tidbit that I forgot to talk about earlier was William Goldman actually got kicked off of the set one time when he came to the set uh it was during the the uh uh the, the, the swamp fire the fire swamp uh scene and even though he knew that robin wright's dress was supposed to catch on fire he kept screaming like she's on fire and they're like no we know mr goldman we know and he's like yeah hey, just put her out though can't you do like cgi and they go we don't need to it's okay and every time they did it he's like no she's on fire again and like, okay you have to leave here uh which i thought was great um Okay, so as Wesley, Inigo, and Fezzik storm the castle, Humperdinck panics and orders uh, the in-progress wedding ceremony to be shortened. Inigo finds and kills... This okay, guy so... who plays the priest. I know. He's great. Like, everybody. He's great. But He's, but like... he's ruined every public event with someone in, like or running it. And he ruined he's... every single one of them, and I love it. He's sort of the opposite of of the albino thing that you get because like he presents prim and proper and like he looks like he's getting ready to make this huge speech and then you just hear mowage <laughs> so apparently he only got the job because that's how he speaks in real life and william goldman thought that his speech impediment was so funny that he had to get the job which is a little upsetting but also pretty funny um i, I mean it, it, like look <laughs> People have speech impediments. Some of those people want to be actors. Yeah. You got to take those roles, man. I mean, Patrick Warburton can say the same line anybody else can say, and it sounds better when he says it. So as long as you have something special about your voice, yeah, go, absolutely. Go I'm in absolutely. it. I sound uh, like Kermit. I sound like Kermit the Frog getting uh, strangled to death. And uh, I get all sorts of voiceover work for podcasts. That's true. And unfortunately, the, <laughs> the death never comes to old Kermit. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> So uh, let's see. Inigo finds and kills Rugen in probably the best, uh, most emotional scene ever, um, in a duel the, after repeatedly taunting him for killing his father. The yeah, and the only thing that I I noticed in this scene this time was the impacts of the stabs don't feel 
Like they're not impactful. Like when oh. he gets stabbed in the arms, when Inigo gets stabbed in the arms, and then when he finally kills him, I don't know, maybe there's not enough like sound effects or something, but it feels very hollow. It, it, or it did this time, and I don't hmm. know why. I yeah. disagree. Yeah, me too. I, I like I like that they're understated. It's not flashy and it's not super violent or like scare cord or something. It's just like yeah. sword goes in, starts bleeding. Sword yeah, goes and in. I, well, and I, I, I get that, but I guess in this type of movie, I I'm just expecting more yeah. of a. Plus, well, you know, we have earlier during the Inigo and Wesley fight, um, the score is really going with the blows of mm -hmm. the swords. Mm -hmm. um, and I noticed this time, which I never noticed before, Mark Knopfler did the the music for this, which awesome. I was like, I read that and I'm like, that also makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like that uh, was yeah. Speaking of Mark Knopfler, a my favorite guitarist of all time. So much fun that I had that I, that I asked one of Dylan. The... I still to learned one of his songs for me, which is, and Dylan, yeah. uh, he does a great job. Uh, one of but, the most underrated guitar players of all time. Fantastic. 100%, 100% dude. Uh, but the cool thing is Mark Knopfler said that he would do this under one condition. And that condition was that the hat that's in, uh, um, oh my God, what's the turn to 11? Uh, Spawn Tap. The hat that's in Spawn Tap has to show up in this movie somewhere. <laughs> and and Rob Reiner was like, "How am I supposed to do that?" And Mark was like, "I don't care. I'll do it if you can do that." <laughs> so in Fred Savage's room, hanging on the wall, oh, is nice. the hat from Spawn Tap. Nice. And that was that was cool. the big payment for Mark Nalford to be in this. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, and he I love just it. that's my favorite piece of trivia that you've ever brought to this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I've spoken a lot. Uh, I'm glad it finally paid off. Um, so Wesley indicates uh Wesley locates Buttercup, who's about to commit suicide, believing she is married to Humperdink, and Wesley assures her the marriage is invalid because she never completed her vows, which as we know, that's just how it works. And <laughs> Humperdink finds them and attempts to kill Wesley in his defenseless state, but Wesley wills himself to his feet and intimidates the prince into surrender and he pretty much does like what uma thurman does in kill bill where he's like move your tongue <laughs> yeah but it's his hand and then he stands up uh he did, yeah. he did a really good job this was another really good piece of acting was him like you could tell that he you could tell that he wasn't strong enough to do what he was saying he was gonna do but yeah. he was forceful enough to make uh Humperdinck think that he could mm -hmm. and I thought that was well, like really well acted um, yeah Carrie Elways is great he's in great in everything this. he yeah he's yeah. not oh he's not always great but he's definitely great in this I'll, I'll, I'll give it to I you. will not have you say a bad word against Carrie Elways okay, okay. he's definitely the only thing I've ever seen him in that I didn't like was Saw but that wasn't his fault at all there you go. Well, I can't wait to see Saw Five then. Um, okay, I, so I, I want to talk very briefly about <laughs> oh. Buttercup's uh, threats of su uh, suicide. Yeah, only because they are so dry and so matter of fact. <laughs> where it's like, I love Humberdink being like, "Please consider me an alternative to suicide," and he says it in such like a like a sincere kind of like dry way. I'm like. <laughs> oh, yikes, man! Yeah, <laughs> and then when when she says it to the king, where it's like. I will go to my chambers and kill myself. And he's like, Oh, well, that sounds nice. That's yeah. going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they take me off. I'm off. I'm caught off guard by them every time I watch this movie and they make me laugh every time. Yeah. Because of how it, they're delivered. She, she does it to Humperdinck too. She's like, yeah. she's like, then I'm just going to go kill myself. 
Yeah. It, it's uh, a very old school Shakespearean, like, well, if the love thing doesn't work out, the life thing doesn't work yeah. out. So there we go. Yeah. I can't, if I can't love, I can't laugh and I can't live. So <laughs> thank you, Karen. Oh, package I deal. It. I love it. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Michael, what's your favorite quote in this? Um, I, I don't think it's my favorite quote, but I love when, uh, Andre, the giant misses with that first rock and he's just like, I could have killed you just then. <laughs> and it's just the whole situation there. And, uh, Dylan said it earlier, his like childlike, I could have killed you, but I didn't. And mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's so good right there. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the, the one that always gets me is when Wesley, when he, he's like, life is pain, highness. Anyone who says anything different is selling you something. I think that quote has stuck with me my entire life. And I absolutely love that. Um, all right. So we're getting uh, close to the end here. Uh, let's see where we're humperting finds. Then we had, uh, so after killing Rugen, Inigo, Inigo is unsure of what to do with his life, and Wesley offers him the Dread Pirate Roberts title. Fezzik has procured four horses, and he and Wesley, Buttercup, and Inigo escape. Wesley and Buttercup safely reunite, and they share a passionate kiss. Now, back in the bedroom, the boy eagerly asks his father to read him the story again the next day, to which his grandfather just looks at him and says, As you wish. Ah, dude, what that's a great, cute. yeah, that's no, cute. that's great. That's a great yeah, way to wrap up, especially yeah. an eighties movie. Um, yeah. What, yeah. What, a, what a cool thing. Yeah. What do you guys got? Focus. The grandfather is really, really good. <laughs> you yeah. don't think Danny DeVito could have done it? He could always do a better folk. folk <laughs> I think there. Danny DeVito can do anything. I think I he's agree. very good. I also think he would have been good as the Sicilian, but uh, it, it's just at this point, Wallace Shawn is like, yeah, it, that's him. Like that character is him. So to yeah. try to think of anybody else doing that, even somebody as good as Danny DeVito, because like his penguin, Danny DeVito's penguin, not that much different than he could have probably played that character. Yeah, it'd be um, real greasy. Yeah, just like real <laughs> slimy. But yeah, but instead not... of doing inconceivable with a slight lisp, we would just be doing like inconceivable. 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 <laughs> oh, would have been so angry. Uh, <laughs> now, this movie also is a Criterion Collection. This is spine number 948. So this movie has uh, it's got some real credentials. Now, it was kind of seen as a flop when it first came out. Uh, it got like a $30 million budget. It really didn't take that much back in in theaters. It's um, it, it's a weird one, though, is the thing. Uh, it because Fred Savage's reaction to the Princess Bride was, I think, a lot of 10 to 13-year-old boys at the time reaction to a movie yeah. called The Princess mm -hmm. Bride. Like, a book. I know when I saw it the first time, <laughs> I, I, I saw it at my very religious, very um, Jehovah's Witness grandmother's house. And it was on Betamax and she goes here, I'm going to put this movie in for you. It's called the princess bride. And I'm like, no, I'm like mama, mm -hmm. a mama movie called the princess bride. This is going to be terrible. Uh, but I was wrong about that. And also jokes on her, uh, Carrie Elways and Robin Wright 
um, awoken something in me oh, yeah. <laughs> on, that, on that very day. Oh, yeah. But between <laughs> this and uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Carrie always is aight. Oh, uh, and yeah. did you did you ever watch uh, Psych? That show Psych. Yeah, yeah it looks like he's he's on that as like a, a swashbuckling French. Uh, oh art yeah, the thief. Yeah, yeah, the thief. Yeah, he <laughs> still cool. looks great now. <laughs> yeah, except when he's in the Saw movies, he looks a little bloated and weird. Yeah, His eyebrows are kind of big. <laughs> but he's uh, a little bloated as the art thief too. But yeah, true. Yeah, he got old. Um, it happens. Yeah, I mean, puffy. he got old. It happens to all of us. Yeah, he got old. As Zach um, and I established in one of our early shows together, we are doing this so we can get puffy. Gotta get puffy. <laughs> Trying hard to get puffy quick. Uh, all right. So as far as quizzes go, there are three main lines that get said over and over in this. There are, my name is Inigo Montoya. There's inconceivable. And there's as you wish. Which one was spoken more? I'm going to say inconceivable just because say... of how many times he says it during like that one scene where yeah. they're watching Wesley climb up the mountains. And Inigo's like, I don't think that means what yeah. you think it means. <laughs> I'm saying Inigo Monto- the Inigo Montoya one because he's repeating it a bunch during the duel at the end. So my name is Inigo Montoya said six times. Inconceivable said five times. And wow. as you wish is said seven times. Uh, okay. four, wow. four by Wesley, but three by the grandfather, which is Oh, cute. Yeah. all right. Cute, cute, cute. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more in this movie. It, it hits like so many. It's on like AFI's top list. It's on Bravo's most passionate movie list. It's on best comedy list, best fantasy list. Uh, there is something special about this movie. And I think it's one of the few movies that cannot be remade. Could you imagine that being done now? The only way I've ever heard this pitched in a way that didn't make me say no immediately is have a soft redo Mm. where Fred Savage is telling it to his daughter and you swap some of the elements to make them more modernized. I don't endorse that, but I think that's the only way to do it intelligently without it being just like cynical cash grab. And even then, yeah, it would I guess be if cash grab. if maybe Fred Savage said that he wrote this story and he wanted to run a past <laughs> sure. his daughter, that might be pretty good. Sure. Uh, and I guess up until that pitch, I was like, this can't be redone because it's it's just too I'm... perfect. It's also just kind of timeless. Yeah, it's it's perfectly timeless. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, but I'm also not against remakes, even like shitty ones. I don't care because people are like, oh, it's ruining, you know, the original movie. I don't think that's the way it is. Like the the original movie still exists. So even if it would introduce more people, like if people would see a remake and then go, Oh, they, you know, they made another one. Cause I did that with a lot of movies. Like I saw the original after I saw the remake and it's like, Oh, this is better. So it could be introducing, I I'm not endorsing doing yeah. it, but I, I also wouldn't hate if they did do it because I just wouldn't see it. If it looks my problem, especially nowadays with reboots or remakes is that they always have to have that scene where they talk about how stupid reboots and remakes are just to excuse lazy writing. Because what they do is they don't try to make what was 
great about the story. They try to find out what was great about that movie. And then they redo those movie scenes. And then you got to compare those two scenes. Whereas if you look at this book and say, how do you produce this book the best way? I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that completely. Just make a movie based on this book. But to reboot this movie, you have to nod the movie, which is I think the wrong way mm-hmm. to go in, in this instance, but uh, we would love to know how you think about Princess Bride. So please, if you love it or you hate it, if you think it should get reboot, should get uh, a sequel, which uh, th- there is a sequel book, I think, or that uh, the fake sequel book uh, kind of got done, which was about uh, I think their wedding. I forget what that one was. I, don't um, know. I, I I do remember watching season three of Game of Thrones, the Dorn season. And picking out people from that season going, they could remake Princess Bride just with people from this season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Pedro Pascal wouldn't be a bad Wesley. I I was thinking Inigo for him. Like that too. I think he would be a great Inigo. I was, yeah. I was looking at uh, Daenerys as, as Buttercup and... She can't act outside Game of Thrones, though. That's the issue I have. Oh, really? I've never seen her in any <laughs> Terminator <laughs> Genesis, baby. Check it out. Oh, oh yeah. I don't think I'm going to. <laughs> oh, it's awful. <laughs> but, like, the mountain is Fezzik, and, yeah, I, I was oh, just okay. picking people out. I was like, this is basically Game of Thrones, or yeah, this true. is basically The Princess Bride was that one season. <laughs> <laughs> season three, Game of Thrones. Right. The Dorn yeah. season. Very I good. Guess... I-, I recommend uh, season three of Game of Thrones, and then stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. Do not get past season four of Game of Thrones if uh, you uh, care. But yeah, we want to know how you think. Uh, we've talked long enough about Princess Bride, a beautiful movie, definitely encapsulates uh, the late '80s. Uh, a perfect, cool way to get a a heartfelt, emotional story across to a uh, impressionable nine year old like myself. Uh, and I appreciate that and Rob Reiner for this, but mostly William Goldsman uh, for making such a great book. Uh, all right, let's go around the horn and uh, give our goodbyes and our uh, reels. So, uh, Mr. Colby the Giant, give it to me. Yeah, um, this movie, Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, The Last Unicorn, like there was a bunch of movies made in this era that really stand out. But I think this one stands out probably the most, probably because it's like from acting to production to writing, everybody was 100% into it. Um, I, I, I'm i going to give this a nine um, just because, like I said, I, it lost a little bit of its luster after I read the book and rewatched it going I could have used a little bit more backstory for Inigo and a little bit more for Fezzik because those were like those gave a little bit more depth to those characters. But it's still like one of the best movies and I'll I'll rewatch it um, anytime. Um, So, yeah, other than that, um, I love this terrible game. Uh, Generation Clash, uh, we are we are getting back to no time to binge in the new year. Mm -hmm. Um, We had a meeting with the new cast members. It's going to be fantastic. Um, And Jack Billings presents haunted apartment complex. Now on the pod moth network, Um, you can check those out uh, new episodes every Tuesday without fail. 
Nice. Delonius Maximus uh, screwed up from the first broadcast himself. Yeah. He didn't screw uh, it up. Actually, I did backstage. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, I canceled the broadcast instead of just canceling the theme song, but that's okay. Uh, this is not an object. This is not an objective rating of this movie. Uh, Princess Bride is important. My to me, my grandpa introduced me to it. Uh, I remember him every time I watched this. It reminds me of my dad. Very important figures in my life. I love the book. Uh, I have learned that if I show this to someone and they don't have the patience to finish it, I should probably pump the brakes on that. Uh, this is getting a 10 for me, which is uh, rare, I think. Whoa! I don't know that I do 10s very often. I love this movie, and I, every time I watch it, I just solidify that opinion further. So it's getting a rare 10 for me. Uh, no apologies necessary. Uh, no, absolutely yeah, no, not. I, I no, love this movie. I mean... I was, oh, no, like, I was no, with a new, 10 as well. That's his new podcast. No apologies necessary. He just kicks people <laughs> in the shin and says, what? And that's it. It's pretty dull for an audio format, but, you know, <laughs> the first few episodes are pretty fun. Sound I don't know. Effects, some of the reactions sound effects are, are top good. notch. <laughs> it's all Foley work. Um, yeah. And speaking of Foley work, you can find all of my stuff with Zach at some nobodies. Uh, that's Silicon Angels podcast, podcast, podcast show. Twitching up streams on Tuesdays, where we expand on ideas we previously developed on talking up streams. You can go listen to all of those in our interviews on the internet places. Um, we've got some stuff in the bag, but I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Of course, no time to binge is going to be a pretty good time. And uh, follow me on Twitter at Vorpal Words. I do a lot of prompt-based stuff. A lot yeah. of prompt-based stuff for people who are into reading 280 characters of something at a time. It's got a lot of got a lot of C prompt stuff going on over there. Yeah. So make sure you check that out. <laughs> I'm very time. Right I'm very on time. <laughs> yeah, he gets he gets all this DOS uh, <laughs> uh programming done uh over on Vorpal Words. So check that out. Yeah, uh this, this movie is it's beyond special to me. Um it, it never really I don't think I ever watched this movie new, you know, like once I seen it, I felt like I've always seen it. It is a classic that has just always been there. Um you really can't pinpoint why it's so great. It just is. It, it, it is a representation of almost an impossible book to make. And I applaud the effort, especially then. And I applaud the output because it still holds up to what it's supposed to do. Uh, now it would be like a CGI, just mishmash and some weird stuff. They would do the tower. They would do all levels of the zoo. They would do everything because they want to be it, you know, blah, blah. But, uh, I, I like it. I'm going to give this movie a 10. If this movie's on, I'm going to watch it. I still have a VHS copy, still shrink-wrapped uh, when it came off a of moratorium at Blockbuster Video, and I've never opened it. I've seen this movie a lot. Uh, easily. 10 out of 10. And uh, yeah, if you want to hear anything that I have to say that Dylan writes, you can listen to Dylan's uh, outro once again. Uh, we have decided to give this movie 29 out of 30 reviews, uh, which is uh almost 10 29 out of 30 reels not reviews that's yeah. stupid uh we can review I, this again we'll do 10 episodes of us talking about 9.666 not uh, nine point the devil baby <laughs> uh but like i said earlier please we would love to know what you think about this movie uh when was the first time you seen this uh did this mean something to you have you read the book do you think it's a good uh, adaptation which i think that it is um what we're gonna watch next week we have another amazing number one from somebody uh it's going to i wish i had the notes up but if i speak slowly enough dylan it's star wars return of the jedi 
Oh, I have not, a good not, fit for not this everybody's one. favorite one. Return of the Jedi. This is nobody's favorite one. This is, yeah, uh, it's nobody's favorite. It's yeah. one Star person's Wars favorite movie. one. At this least. really, this should not be in your top four of favorite <laughs> Star Wars movies. But either way, we're going to talk about Return of the Jedi, uh, which is uh, the cat, the cash yeah, grab of the original it's, trilogy. It's Fine. my fifth. It's my oh. fifth favorite Star Wars movie for sure. Um, I I but, think that I could fight that. I think that it might be. Uh, yeah, I think you're wrong. You're gonna fight um, it on his favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, just because yeah, sure, they're people's opinions don't mean they're right. <laughs> they just haven't thought of something. I mean, you're going to tell me out of what, 12, 13 movies that Return of the Jedi uh, is in your top five? Of the of the trilogies, the three trilogies. Oh, the of the, of the original trilogy, I will agree. This is my top five. <laughs> no, uh, of the three <laughs> trilogies. Oh. Um, yeah, all right. Maybe. Yeah, sure. A two... Two, it might be tie. Eight, it might be tie for fifth. Two eight one seven. Phantom Menace. Two two attack of the clones. You're no, the I'm clones. sorry. I'm and the no, Jedi. Last Jedi. Five five eight <laughs> four <laughs> seven five for them. Oh, whatever. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that oh, I'm that's four. Funny. I'm four. <laughs> Not four, yeah. Five, the, the, the Attack uh, of the Clones is the best Star Wars movie. I don't know what you guys are talking about. The Attack yeah. of the Clone, uh, Attack of the Clones is the last of the nine. I would rather I, watch. Um, yeah, Venomous. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say uh, yeah. four, four, five, eight, Rogue One, seven, and then Return of the Jedi. Uh, if if Rogue One does not count, then it is in Rogue my top One five. doesn't count. Okay, if it does, if it doesn't count, um. If it doesn't count, it doesn't. It is if it does not count. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> it, 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 in the rare occasion, it does not count. It's going to be in my top five. Either way, if you want to hear, what we talk about uh, Return of Jedi next Monday. Uh, no time to binge next year. You can see us on touching and talking and doing all things upstream, including peeing on beavers upstream, uh, which is Phil Better's new podcast. Uh, but leave it to when, Beaver. When, when you say when we say next year, <laughs> when we say no time to binge next year, yeah. it sounds like a long way away. It's like three weeks away. It's not that long. <laughs> time is an yeah. illusion. Don't worry but, about it. But anyway, leave it to Beaver, which is where Phil Better puts his scraps outside and videotapes what happens when you leave your leavings to Beavens. Either way, uh, we love you guys. Thank you very much. Dylan, you might as well play that outro. Bro. Yeah, tune in next week when a bunch of white nerds talk about Star Wars. You've never heard that before. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Never on that for too long. He distinctly said to blave, and as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! And now for something completely different. I drink it up!